And what a privilege it is to gather in his name and to be reminded of the way that God loves you, the way he loves us so well in Christ Jesus. If you have a Bible, if you'll turn with me, we're actually going to look at two passages, both in the Gospels, one in, in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to start there at the end of Matthew's Gospel in Gospel, uh, Matthew 28. And then we're going to turn to the end of Luke's Gospel in Luke 24. And we're in this season of Easter, this season. And what we're doing is this. We're looking at the implications of the resurrection, the implications that the cross was not the end of Jesus's story. The tomb was not the end of Jesus's story, that the amazing grace of God and the power of God raised him to life. And that resurrected life has affected everything. Heaven and earth, literally heaven and earth will never be the same because of the resurrection. The world out there will never be the same because of the reality that Jesus lives. And he says, I'm making all things new. But the world inside here, the world inside you and the world inside of me will never be the same because of the same reality. Because Jesus bore our sins. He went to the cross and he defeated his and our greatest enemies, sin and death. And because he lives, we can live too. You see, one of the most important uh, results of the resurrection, it's kind of an interesting result. It says that because of the reality of the resurrection, Jesus himself will say that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And you may want to say, well, wait a minute. What what, what does that mean that all authority in heaven and earth was given to him? I mean, this this is God's son, right? This is the eternal word who put on flesh. Didn't he already have all authority? But the story of the Bible is that when he came to rescue us, this this incarnation is God put on flesh and he veiled that glory of God in his flesh. And now through the resurrection, every limitation that his flesh had, everything that would hold him back has been removed. And now all authority, there's no limitations. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Is there anybody more safe to have all authority? And what do they say about absolute power? Absolute power corrupts? Absolutely. And yet here we have the one, the one with nail-pierced hands, the, the one who is the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. This is the one, this, this meek, gentle carpenter, and yet this King of kings and this Lord of lords. And the safest place, the safest place for the world, the safest place for you and for me to have all authority placed in is placed in nail-pierced hands of Jesus. But the amazing thing is what Jesus does with authority. And again, it's so typical of the gospel. It's so typical of, of God's word. As, as we in this world think of power, uh, we see it abused so often. Uh, we see power and authority as something that's not to highly esteem. And yet, the way Jesus uses power affects each one of us. I mean, it's just typical Jesus. He is given all authority. Why? So that he could bless us. Why is he given all authority? So he can empower us. Why? So that we could do that, which he calls us to do. In World War II, there was a five-star general that, that was over our U.S. forces in the Pacific theater. Uh, his name was Douglas MacArthur. And as Douglas MacArthur uh, took that theater in the beginning of World War II, we were greatly outnumbered. In many ways, uh, the war wasn't going in our direction. The Japanese were, were causing great casualties. And it looked like, is it gonna, we're going to win or not win in the Pacific? 
As a matter of fact, things got so bad that our, our highest ranking general was commanded by our president to leave the battlefield, to go away, to preserve his life. And so he leaves and he makes his way all the way to Australia. And as he leaves, he leaves behind troops and, and many of them in harm's way, many of them will, will be killed at like places like the Bataan Death March. And yet he makes a vow. He makes a pledge. As it seems like he's in retreat, he says, but I shall return. Famous words of Douglas MacArthur is, I shall return. And it kind of became a, 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 a cry of hope. It became it just a reminder that no matter how bad it is, no matter how bleak, that there's a promise that the one who is our general, the one who's over us here, that he shall return, even facing insurmountable odds. Well, this morning, we're going to see Jesus not retreating from the battlefield. We're going to see Jesus ascending from the battlefield, the battlefield of, of, of earth here, the battlefield of wrestling with our sin and our death and depravity. And he's not retreating. Uh, he is being ascended and he's ascending, not wondering is the outcome up or down, knowing that he has obtained a victory for his father and for us. And in his victory, we really have life. And so he's, a, he's now at the end of running that course. He's being ascended into heaven. And he too makes a promise that he shall return. And we live our lives in the hope that, that Jesus is going to come back one day. And he's really going to finally just not only deal with sin, but banish sin. And all of our tears and all of our brokenness, they'll be a thing of the past. And he promises that he will return. But he does more than just promise he will return. He promises that he is always with us. Not even that he will always be, but he is. He is That he is always with us. What an incredible promise. Even as he is ascending, saying, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. But even as I go, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is with his resurrection from the dead, conquering sin and death. And having all authority in heaven and earth. What is he going to do? He's going to use that authority. To resurrect God's eternal. Unchanging immutable plan. The plan of God that he's always had. For you and me. That he's always had for the earth. And the plan of God has always been. That he created this out of nothing. For his glory. To fill the earth with his glory. That's always been God's plan. That will be God's plan. And God's plan will come to fruition. No matter how bad it is, this whole earth that he has created will be filled with his glory. He's got all authority to do it. But you know what he does with authority? He's using me, you and me. He implements that plan through us. And not only does he implement that plan through us, it brings him great pleasure. He empowers us. He knows that we're frail. He knows that we're weak. He knows that on our own, we can't do it. On our own, we stumble and fall. We are so prone to wander, so prone to forget. But the one who has all power, the one who has all authority, the one who has created all things out of nothing, he's the one who says, I'm resurrecting this plan of the fathers to bring my glory to all the earth. I'm going to use my people to do it. So let's look to God's word. We're going to be in the uh, gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, reading through 20. It's often referred to as a great commission. So if you've been around church or around God's word, you've probably heard the great commission. We're also going to go back to where we've been the last two weeks in Luke chapter 24 and be reminded of the ascension of Christ there. 
But let's be mindful, no matter if we're in Matthew or we're in Luke or wherever we find ourselves from Genesis to Revelation, this is God's holy word. He's given us his word. It says it's living and active. And God didn't give us his word just to entertain us. He's given us his word to transform us. He's used that authority of his word to make us more like his son, our savior. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Remember 11, Judas is now gone and Jesus has directed them to Galilee and to this mountain. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Let's hit pause here. Interesting, the Greek word is really some hesitated. Some weren't sure. And again, the question is, are these the disciples again? They've been so slow to get the story. But I think here, maybe it's more of what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15 of the 500 who saw him. There might have been some disciples that were still hesitating. But I bet it was some of the 500 was like, man, is it really true? And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's hit pause again. It's not the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is one true living God in three persons in the singular name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's turn to Luke's gospel, Luke 24. I'm going to pick up actually in verse 49, I think just 50 through 53 is listed, but 49 and behold, Jesus says, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. That's the Holy spirit, but stay in this city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he let out, uh, then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands. He blessed them like the great high priest he is. And while he blessed him, uh, blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Now, Father God, your, your word tells us that your son Jesus, because of his resurrection, has all authority in his hands. All authority in heaven and earth is his. And God, I come to you in his name and I plead that authority for us in the name of Jesus, that he would come and that he would be pleased to do that only which you can do. Speak through a broken sinner like me because you have the authority to do that. And God, would you give us ears to hear your voice and would you give us minds to understand your word and your authority and the work of your son? And would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth? And God, would you be with us so powerfully in the Holy Spirit that you would enable our feet, that you would empower our feet from on high to walk in a manner worthy of your triune name. And God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those very things to make us more like your all-powerful, 
all authoritative son, our savior, Jesus. And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along, you'll find in your bulletin, there's an outline for you as we look through this. And the first thing that we're going to see that Jesus is doing uh, with all the authority, uh, with all the power of heaven and earth, is he is really resurrecting God's plan. He's resurrecting his father's plan. With all this authority, he's, he's not giving us a new plan. He's actually going back to the beginning and giving us and resurrecting that, that immutable, eternal plan of God from the very beginning. If we start at the very beginning, the book of Genesis, it's very important that God will tell us that in the beginning it was God and that God was the one and only one who creates all things out of nothing. This incredible God who's so powerful that he just, he speaks and the worlds and the universe leap into existence. He and he alone has the power and the authority to hold all things together. And when he looked at creation that he made, he says, it's good. But it was really good about his creation it was you. It was me, male and female. We were made in his image. We were made in his reflection. We were, we were made to know and love him and to serve him and to walk with him in the, the cool of the evening. And he has blessed us with that. But as soon as he creates all things and he, as soon as he created you and me in his image, he gives us a command and he tells us what we're to do. And immediately he says, okay, here's the deal. I want you to multiply. I want you to be multiply and be fruitful. I want you to go and I want you to subdue the whole earth. I want you to fill the entire earth with my glory. You're to rule and reign for me. So the God, the God's plan, the one who has all authority from the beginning has always been for you and me to be fruitful and multiply. And now we hear that, that, that language in Jesus's words when he says, go, go and make disciples of all nations. Go, go and multiply, go and fill this earth with my glory, subdue the earth and have dominion over it. How do we do that? By observing, observing all that he has commanded, by obeying all that he has commanded. Richard Pratt, one of my seminary professors, described how God created all things out of nothing. And one of the things, he, an illustration he used that really hit me, he says, they picture the world like God's trophy case. And he's built this world for his glory, for, for his trophies. And, and we are his prime trophy that he was loved and made in his image. And for Christians who've been rescued by his son's blood and filled with the spirit. And that, that our, our goal has always been to fill the trophy case, to, to fill the earth with the, the knowledge, the love, the fear of the Lord. And he chooses to use me and, to do, and you to do that. When you think of the Genesis account, what was God doing? Well, he was doing that which he wanted us to do. He, he was bringing light into the darkness. And now he says, Jesus came, says, I'm the light of the world. And in Christ Jesus, we are the light of the world. And what are we to do? We're to bring light into darkness. How dark is our world? How much does that light of Christ needs to shine? I mean, how many times have you cried out saying, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's horrible. Really, what we're saying is, God, let that light shine, the light of Christ through you and me. Bring God's light into darkness. Bring God's beauty into all the void. Everything that's broken and undone, we bring the beauty of not our words, but God's words in the gospels. We bring God's order into the chaos that his kingdom would come. 
So what is, what is, what is Jesus doing? Well, he's, he's resurrecting that plan. It was always God's plan to fill the whole earth with his glory. It was always God's plan for you and me to be fruitful and multiply and reproduce and, and, and to make sure that he and he alone receives that credit and that glory. And now what Jesus is doing is says, Hey, I got all authority. We're back on track. You're to go, go and make disciples, go and multiply of all nations, resurrecting God's plan. Let me make sure you understand this is God's plan. This will be God's plan. And this will always be God's plan and his plan will succeed. There's no plan B. And that is to use us to fill this earth with his glory. But how does he implement the plan? Secondly, implementing God's plan. Because all that authority has been given to Jesus and it's always been his plan to fill his earth with his glory. But you know what is also amazing? It's always been his plan to use us, his people to do it. Think about that for a minute. I don't know why. I mean, God could have immediately created the world filled with his glory. His glory was everywhere, but he, he has a special joy of watching you and me do that which he's created us to do. And that's through us. It's basically saying this, that although he has all authority and power, he chooses to use his people to be the ones who bring the reign and rule of his authority to this world. It's those of us who, by God's grace, have said that Jesus is our king. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. And that we pray a prayer saying that your kingdom will come, your reign and rule, your will be done, where on earth as it is in heaven. And that that kingdom comes as we live in obedience to him. That kingdom comes as we live on mission to him. He implements his, his plan through us. And that calling to be fruitful and multiply to subdue the earth, to have the kingdom come. Well, how do we do it? Well, he's going to tell us how to implement the plan. It begins with worship. What's true about Matthew 28 and Luke 24 is the primacy of worship of Jesus in both of those. That worship. And by the way, we see in in Matthew 28 that there were some who, who were hesitant to worship. And we know that in the church and even in our own lives, there's some doubt and hesitancy. But we also see in Luke 24 that that our goal is to worship Jesus with great joy. With great joy. Even as he was leaving them, even as he was ascending to heaven, they were worshiping with great joy. Do you know Jesus as Lord, as your Lord and your God? Can you be like Thomas that once you see the reality of a resurrected Savior, you step back and say, my Lord in my God, the only way to the father, the way, the truth and the life, the good shepherd who laid down his life for his friends, behold, the lamb of God who took away my sins. Jesus should always be the object of our worship, the person of our worship. As we worship our great triune God, he should have our affections. So what is the implementation of God's plan? It begins with worship. It'll never end. Worship will never cease. But as he implements the plan, it's more. It's also go and make disciples of all nations. You know, it's one of those things where I love to stop reading this as I read scripture and just picture. I don't know how many were there that he was talking to, but so far up to the, about this point, it's pretty much been a localized thing of Jesus's ministry. It's basically been 
you know, in that area of Palestine, Israel. That's all it's been. And now he's talking to some scaredy cat disciples who are going to get empowered by the Holy Spirit and some others. He's going to say, by the way, I want you to go to all nations. It's like somebody having a lemonade stand saying, I want your lemonade stand to go like worldwide, you know, but amazingly it did. I wonder what some of the observers said as they watched them saying, really? These guys, these guys and gals are the ones that take this message into all the world. Yes, go and make disciples. That word disciple, it's, it's one Greek word, making disciples. It's really go make learners. Go, go, and those who will be followers. I mean, he called his disciples fishers of men. And now he's saying, go, go be fruitful and, and multiply. The reality is this, is that he wasn't just talking to, to his disciples. He's talking to all of his children. Each of us is to be a disciple maker. Each of us should be reproducing our faith. Each of us should not just be a disciple maker, but each of us also is to be a learner and a disciple growing in our, in Christ. And how do we do that? Well, it begins by the joy of saying, I want to live my life as Christ as King and walk by faith. But it also, it says, scripture says this, be ready, be ready to share your faith. Be ready to give an account of the hope that is inside of you. First Peter three fifteen. How much does our life mirror the world's and how much does our life look like what Christ has to come and what he has done? You see what, what Jesus wants to do through you and me is for the world to see a difference, a difference in living, a difference in believing, a difference in freedom, because what Christ has done that incredibly the world will see us and say, tell me the hope. How, how in the midst of this crazy world, can you have hope? How, how can you hold on? It's Christ in us. Be ready to share your faith. Make those disciples. I got to tell you, I really don't think I'm a natural evangelist. I really don't think that it's natural for me to engage in a conversation where you're just, some people are great at it. Some people, it seems like every time they turn around, they're leading someone to the Lord. It seems like for me, I I always try to get to the conversation where we hear about their story and, and Christ is a part of it. But let me just encourage each one of you. This doesn't mean that you have to be someone other than you. And God's not saying you have gifts other than what you have. For your faith to multiply, here's what you need. You need to be you in love with Jesus. And I know you can do that, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Live your life in such a way that, that others will see this hope inside of you. Make disciples. And when I think of that, I literally was thinking about many of your faces. What does this mean to them? And what does this mean to you? Let me start with parents. You're making disciples should start in your home and passing that baton of faith on the best of your ability. Make disciples start, start with that, that home and start where you are in school and, and where you're going to school and your neighborhoods, your workplace. I mean, God has you. Listen, if God has all authority in heaven and earth, he's got you where he wants you. And he wants to tell his story through you. He wants us to be able to share the story and reproduce our faith. Well, it says, make a command, go and make disciples. Well, how he will tell us how we make disciples by baptizing them. Again, it's a singular baptize them in the triune name of the father, son, and Holy spirit. Believe and be baptized is what scripture would say into God's name. And what is it really saying? I mean, we know that baptism isn't salvific. It doesn't wash away our sins. It doesn't make us Christians. But what he's saying is be baptized into God's name, that you're saying he's the authority over me, that his will be done, 
that my identity should be in Christ Jesus, being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that means of grace. How do we make disciples? Well, it's also by teaching. It's by teaching them, not just so that they have head knowledge, teaching them so that ethically that your life is changed, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. That's how we make disciples. It's not just evangelizing them. We got to equip them with God's word. We got to teach them. And again, it it could be one of those things where the all could be daunting. Teach them all that I've commanded them. Well, let me summarize the all. Jesus did it this way. You want to summarize the Bible? Here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbors yourself. And that will sum up the whole thing. And so really when it comes down to more about loving him and loving others and just performance and duty and the incredible grace of God that he gives to us. May we love God and love our neighbors well. When it comes to implementing God's plan, really the way that I'd like to have you think of this is in two things. One is live in submission to Christ as King. Live in submission. He has all authority. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You're living in submission to Christ as King saying your name uh, be glorified, not mine. Your will be done, not mine in heaven as it is in, on earth as it is in heaven. So live in submission to Christ as king. The second thing is this, live on mission for Christ as king. Live on mission that we are his ambassadors. It's incredible. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that God was reconciling the world to himself through his son, Christ Jesus. He wasn't counting our sins against us. He put them all on Christ, but he's also given to us something. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation that we are now to be reconciling the world to God because we're his ambassadors. And he's using us, using us to go and tell that incredible good news. Well, what is happening with all authority of God? He's, Jesus is resurrecting God's plan. He's implementing God's plan. And lastly, he's empowering God's plan. And again, I love this about our gracious, holy God. Everything that God requires of us, God provides for us. Everything that God requires of us, God provides for us. And he empowers us from on high with the Holy Spirit to do that, which he's calling us to do. He doesn't leave it just to us who are so prone to wander, who are so prone to fail. He's going to say, I'm going to use you, but I'm going to empower you, empower you with the Holy Spirit. And how does he do it? With all authority given to Jesus, what does he do? He blesses us. Jesus, as he raises his hands, as he's ascending, he's blessing him. It says literally while he is ascending, the last thing he is doing is blessing his people. As he is headed to heaven, he is giving blessing. And when we read scripture, the beautiful thing about scripture in the book of Hebrews is that he lives to intercede for us. That blessing doesn't stop. That blessing forever continues in Christ Jesus. And the gospel is this, is that God took Jesus to be a curse for us and our sin so that Jesus forever and continually can bless us. And that's what he does. Oh, he'll discipline us. But never will his wrath be poured out against us because it was poured out against his son. He blesses us and he continues to do that. With all authority, he does that. With all authority given to Jesus, he empowers us. We were clothed with the Holy Spirit from on high, our comforter, our guide, our, guide, our strength. And now we, we can do that Tim Tebow thing. You know, the black that he used to wear, the little eye black under there, the Philippians 4.13 
I can do all things through Christ who empowers me. That's the reality of us as well. He empowers us. Anything he calls us to, he empowers us to. If we live our lives in obedience to him. With all authority given to Jesus, he also says, and by the way, I will always be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, it actually says, look. Look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What a great way to end the gospel of Matthew. You see, the Matthew begins in Matthew 1, 23, as it's describing Jesus. He's quoting uh, Isaiah saying, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now at the end of the gospel, we see that Jesus will always be with us. He is Emmanuel. Through the Holy Spirit will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 3, uh, 13, 5, what great news. You see, Jesus promises not only to return to us, but he, he empowers us that until he returns, that we can do that which he has called us to do. Well, Douglas MacArthur did leave Australia. He did make his way back onto the battlefield. The battle turned, and we know the story. The story is we won. We won uh, the uh, Pacific as well. And there was this great victory. Well, we're living in the midst of that great victory and some freedom here that we enjoy in the United States now. But there's such a greater victory that Jesus has won. That Jesus has won for us. That he wants us to live in the midst of that victory today. Today, we've truly been forgiven and set free. Today, we have a living hope. And we know that he will return. But until that time, he also promises, I still will be with you. Are you living in that hope? Are you living in that victory? Are you sharing your faith and multiplying? Are you going where God has sent you, knowing that he's resurrected the story and implements the story through us and empowers it so the world may know and see Jesus? Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, it's incredible that all authority is given to you, and how do you use it? You use it to bless you use it to empower. You use it to implement the greatest plan, the plan that you, the Father and the Spirit, have put in place before time began to fill this place with your glory. It's amazing that you choose to use us, your church, to accomplish that plan. We know that we won't ever finally get it right until Jesus comes back in person. But God, may we live with a hope that will never die. May we live set free knowing that Jesus's victory has secured for us a place with you and that we are forever loved and we are forever yours and you will never leave us nor forsake us. God, many of us find ourselves in a dark place this morning. Many of us wonder who has the authority and where has the authority gone? Would you fix all of our eyes on the one, those nail pierced hands that has all authority in heaven and earth? And we thank you that that's the one who's on our side. And that's the one who is for us and loves us and wants to empower and use us. Oh God, what a marvelous, gracious, beautiful, strong, eternal God that you are. Father, thank you for loving us enough to send your son. Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to send your spirit. And thank you that we have hope knowing that you are going to come again. We believe and your promises. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in the kingdom to come. 
And God, help us to live our life in that belief every day. We pray in Christ's name, amen.